0: Welcome to the Kotki Ride Home for Thursday, September 9th, 2021. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, forget air conditioners, give me radiative cooling panels on my roof. That's what I hope I'll be saying a few years from now. Plus, a new species of giant carnivorous dinosaur with shark-like teeth has been identified. And Moderna has announced they're moving forward with their COVID-19 and seasonal flu combo vaccine. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. I've talked a lot about air conditioning on this show. The history of it, the innovations in the field, and the future of it. Specifically with regards to our need to find more sustainable solutions, since more and more places are going to require some form of cooling as extreme temperatures continue to become more common, but also the more we use the energy-heavy, refrigerant-reliant devices, the worse it is for the environment. Last month, Architect Magazine outlined a few companies working on some possible solutions. There's a San Francisco-based startup with a slickly designed window unit that both heats and cools using heat pump technology, and they say it would reduce a household's carbon footprint by 75% compared to conventional systems. And as a bonus, it hangs off of your wind sill, inside and out instead of blocking your window from view. The Irish company Exergen has gotten rid of hydrofluorocarbons and refrigerants altogether by using nitinol instead, which is a shape memory alloy, or SMA, made of nickel and titanium. Quoting Architect Magazine, The design features perforated nitinol plates assembled into stacks. Alternately compressed and released by actuators, the SMA absorbs and removes excess heat. End quote. But then, there are the methods that don't just remove the need for refrigerants, but for air conditioners altogether, or at least decrease the reliance on them. And I'm very interested in solutions like this. For example, once I was attending a meeting in a conference room in a building in Zurich, and in the middle of the meeting, without anyone doing anything, the blinds on the huge windows looking out to the Alps started closing by themselves. And turns out, the employees who worked there told me, that the blinds were on a timer specifically designed to block out the sun at the hottest part of the day to keep the rooms cool. This is a method that people have used for centuries, but with a modern automated twist. And it was in that moment that I was also informed that the building itself didn't have any central air conditioning. Yet there we were, sitting inside in the middle of August, feeling perfectly comfortable. Maybe not as chilly as we might have been with the high-powered central AC units of many American offices, but not warm enough for me to have even noticed until it was brought up. I don't know exactly what a lot of the other designs were that were employed in that and other buildings in Zurich, but I've never been able to stop thinking about how great it would be if more places were designed that way. Of course, the average high temperature in Zurich in August is 76 degrees Fahrenheit or 24 degrees Celsius. Simple techniques like insulation and closing the blinds is not going to be as effective in places where the average highs are over 100 degrees Fahrenheit or over 38 degrees Celsius. There is one startup though that has been successfully working on an AC-free solution in the much hotter California. Quoting again, the company's approach employs radiative materials that reflect sunlight and heat away from building roofs, saving 10% to 40% in energy use. Skycool radiative cooling panels are similar to solar PV panels in size, configuration, and aesthetic, but they help conserve energy instead of generating it. And they work at night. Another advantage, the radiative panels weigh about half as much as the solar PV ones and they reportedly save two to three times as much energy as the solar panels can generate within the same roof area. Because the panels do not need to be oriented toward the sun, they can be easily combined with a solar array to maximize the benefits of both technologies." End quote. And the panels are already in use. A store called The Grocery Outlet in Stockton, California, has 32 of them on its rooftop. Installed towards the end of 2019, Popular Science reports that the energy use of the grocery store's refrigeration system has dropped by 15%, an annual savings of about $6,000. They work via a phenomenon called radiative cooling. Quoting popular science, "...tilted toward the sun, the panels absorb almost none of the warmth beating down on them. They even launch some into space, improving the performance of the systems that keep things inside cold. Everything on Earth emits heat in the form of invisible infrared rays that rise skyward. At night, in the absence of mercury-raising daylight, this can chill something enough to produce ice." When your car's windshield frosts over, even if the thermometer hasn't dipped below freezing, that's radiative cooling in action, end quote. Aswath Rahman, co-founder of SkyCool, describes it as, quote, What's happening at night is you're losing heat to the sky, and the sky is letting some of that go to space. During the day, you want to continue doing that, but at the same time, you want to avoid absorbing the sun's energy, end quote. And here's a little bit more of the science behind it, quoting further from PopSci. They created a thin film composed of seven microscopic layers atop a sliver of silver. The slices alternated between hafnium oxide, an inorganic compound that acts as an electrical insulator, and silicon dioxide, or silica, a natural material that makes up quartz, sand, and nearly two-thirds of Earth's crust. Acting together, the substances enable a special set of optical properties. For starters, they're especially good at emitting infrared light. Greenhouse gases and water molecules in the atmosphere usually absorb most of these rays and send them back to Earth. Infrared between 8 and 3 micrometers in wavelength, however, isn't absorbed by the atmosphere and instead slips into space. So Raman tuned the film to radiate only within that narrow range. What's more, the material reflects 97% of the sun's beams, enough to generate a cooling effect during the day. End quote. Unlike the ultra-white paint I talked about earlier this year that reflects 98.1% of sunlight and can cool buildings down to 8 degrees below the ambient temperature, but still must be used in concert with other cooling measures, Raman hopes that panels like these from SkyCool could one day make air conditioners obsolete. Although for now, he is working to augment existing systems with the panels. Radiative cooling techniques like SkyCool's panels will face the same problem as pretty much every other AC alternative, though. Cost. Will they actually be able to be produced, installed, and afforded on a mass scale? And they also work best in dry environments with clear skies. PopSci notes that cloud cover and high humidity reduce the effects because water molecules in the air trap some of the emitted infrared rays. So there might need to be some further innovation there for cloudy, humid, and rainy locations, but fortunately there are other research teams and companies working on radiative cooling solutions besides just Raman and SkyCool, so who knows, maybe in a few years most roofs will be decked out with both solar panels and cooling panels. In the mid-Cretaceous period, before Tyrannosaurs had evolved to their most well-known and largest size, there was another dinosaur who dominated the land. These huge beasts were called the Carcharodontosaurs, getting their name from the genus for sharks, Carcharodon, because of their shark-like chompers. Carcharodontosaur literally means shark-toothed lizard. And now, a new species has been added to their ranks thanks to a discovery in Uzbekistan. Quoting Smithsonian Mag... The new dinosaur, represented by a bone found in the 90-million-year-old rock of Uzbekistan, is a carcharodontosaur estimated to be about 30 feet long. But that's hardly all. This new dinosaur species also lived alongside a much smaller tyrannosaur and helps narrow down when the fearsome carcharodontosaurs began to seed the role of apex predator to bigger, badder tyrannosaurs. Named Ulukbegsaurus uzbekistanensis, the new dinosaur is described today in Royal Society Open Science. So far, the dinosaur is only known from a single bone, part of the upper jaw uncovered in the sandy reaches of the Kizilkum Desert. Nevertheless, the anatomical details of the bone indicate that it belonged to the largest predator of its environment, end quote. Uluk Begsaurus Uzbekistanensis. Quite a mouthful for someone who doesn't speak Uzbek. It was named after Uluk Beg, a 15th century astronomer, mathematician, and sultan from present-day Uzbekistan. And it's the first Carcharodontosaurus found in Central Asia, but hardly the first dinosaur found in the area. The Bisecti Formation, where this new fossil was found, is a stack of 90-92 to million-year-old rocks where a bunch of fossils from various types of dinosaurs have been unearthed over the years, including a type of Tyrannosaur that grew about 10 feet long, roughly a third of this Ulubexaurus uzbekistanensis. And that relationship between Carcharodontosaurs and Tyrannosaurs is really what this discovery is shedding a lot of light on. Quoting Live Science, The two dinosaur groups were fairly similar, but Carcharodontosaurs were generally more slender and lightly built than the heavy-set Tyrannosaurs, said study co-researcher Darla Zelensky, an associate professor of paleobiology at the University of Calgary. Even so, Carcharodontosaurs were usually larger than Tyrannosaur dinosaurs, reaching weights greater than 13,200 pounds. Then, around 90 million to 80 million years ago, the Carcharodontosaurs disappeared, and the Tyrannosaurs grew in size, taking over as apex predators in Asia and North America. Peter Makovicki, a professor of paleontology at the University of Minnesota who was not involved in the study, agreed that U. uzbekistanensis was likely at the top of the local food chain. I think this bone is so big that this would have been a very large predatory dinosaur and very likely the apex predator in its ecosystem, Makovicki told Life Science, end quote. And this finding is also the latest known occurrence of a carcodontosaur and tyrannosaur living side by side. Smithsonian Mag notes that the period at which the Carcrodontosaurs went from apex predator to extinct is a bit of a gap in paleontological knowledge. There was so much change happening between 80 and 125 million years ago that it's tough to piece it all together. Zeleninsky told Smithsonian, quote, I think that any finds we can make in or around the 90 to 80 million-year-old window can help shed light on this poorly known interval of dinosaur-dominated ecosystems. And quoting further from Smithsonian, even though the relationship between tyrannosaurs, body size, and competing carnivores now seems clear, paleontologists do not yet know why carcharodontosaurs vacated their role as the biggest predators of the northern hemisphere. It's unlikely that tyrannosaurs simply clawed their way to the top, end quote. Tyrannosaurs didn't seem to get larger except in places where bigger competitors were absent. So what changed? It may have affected availability of prey, changed the patterns of herbivores... More fossils and more research are needed to come to any conclusions, but for now, I continue to get a kick out of any time we find fossils that prove Tyrannosaurs were not always the biggest carnivores on the block, given how much we thrust them up as the ultimate apex predator in media. Plus, shark-toothed lizards just look and sound super cool. It's like a shark and a dinosaur? Yeah, beat that. So I mentioned this a while back when it was still being presented as just a thing that they were hoping to achieve, but today, Moderna officially announced they're working on a two-in-one vaccine booster that will protect against both COVID-19 and the seasonal flu. Clinical trials are expected to begin within the next 6 to 12 months. Moderna CEO Stéphane Bansel said in a statement, Today, we are announcing the first step in our novel respiratory vaccine program with the development of a single-dose vaccine that combines a booster against COVID-19 and a booster against flu. We're making progress on enrolling patients in our rare disease programs, and we are fully enrolled in our personalized cancer vaccine trial. We believe this is just the beginning of a new age of information-based medicines, end quote. CNBC notes that the announcement caused shares of Moderna to jump by more than 5% today. This announcement is both a reality check about how COVID-19 will almost certainly become endemic, something we just live with and need to get annually vaccinated against every year along with the flu, which does make it pretty awesome that Moderna is developing an easy way to make sure people are able to do that, but it's also a further look at the huge strides forward being taken in the realm of vaccinations and other treatment thanks to mRNA technology. In that statement, Bansell noted they've enrolled participants in a personalized cancer vaccine trial, and BioNTech has apparently moved to human trials for their mRNA cancer vaccine as well. Moderna is also continuing clinical studies of their COVID-19 vaccine for kids and teenagers and has a slew of other mRNA-based vaccine trials in development, but they say the flu-COVID combo is the furthest along, although don't expect it to be ready for this flu season, which, by the way, you can already get your flu shot here in the US and you should definitely do that if you can. Eventually, Moderna says they want to add protection against other respiratory diseases to the mix to create a, quote, high-efficacy pan-respiratory annual booster, end quote. Novavax, whose COVID-19 vaccine is not yet authorized here in the U.S., has also announced that they have started an early-stage study to test a combined flu and COVID vaccine. The vaccine game is going to get so strong over the next several years. So now all we have to do is work on equitable global rollouts and fighting disinformation to make sure people actually get them. Easy peasy. So speaking of COVID, Jason shared this as a quick link on cocky.org yesterday. But for the second year in a row, MIT's biology department is offering their COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2, and the pandemic course online for free. It's basically just a series of lectures that'll be live-streamed Wednesday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern and available to watch on demand on YouTube a few days later, and the course looks pretty incredible. It's taught by two MIT professors, but the lectures are from guest lecturers like Rochelle Walensky, Anthony Fauci, and other experts who have been major players during the pandemic. The class started yesterday with a lecture by Dr. Bruce Walker, and next week is the Big Fauci Lecture. It's all totally free, there's no need to register, just tune in whenever you like, Link is in the show notes. But that is it from me for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Cocky.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow. Tax Day is coming. Oh, no.